0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Hello everybody, welcome to Talking in Circles tonight. I am Clayton Caldwell Philip Matthew and Spencer Callen here tonight on Talking in Circles. Tonight we're going to look at the 150s, the preview of the 150s here at Daytona International Speedway. We're also going to look at the Advanced Auto Parts Clash. Talk about Daytona 500 qualifying. Uh, William Byron is on the pole. a uh, young kid in his second 500 Takes the poll. Hendrick Motorsports' fifth consecutive poll. Unbelievable run for Hendrick Motorsports. They just seem to have uh, qualifying figured out here at Daytona International Speedway. We'll talk about the other teams. Uh, There were six open teams qualifying for the Daytona 500. Two of them locked themselves in on Sunday. Two more will lock themselves in on Thursday. We'll get a little bit to that. Also, the Advanced Auto Parts Clash. I mean, how can we not talk about the finish to that race, the rain, and everything that came around with it? And, of course, like I said, we'll preview the 150s and the 821 here on next Sunday. 917-889-8280 is the number to join the show tonight. Anytime you want to join Talking in Circles, just dial 917-889-8280, and we'll get you right on the air and talk some good old NASCAR racing here. But first, guys, let's talk about the Advanced Auto Parts Clash because that's more fresh in everybody's brain, how that race ended. It was a lackluster clash We saw a lot of single-file racing, but it ended with a lot of controversy. Uh, Let's start there where it ended. Jimmy Johnson made contact with Paul Menard. A lot of people blame Jimmy Johnson. Some people blame Paul Menard. Some people say it's a racing move. However you you feel, the the result doesn't matter. Paul Menard spun, hit the outside wall. 17 cars were involved in a wreck, if you include Johnson. Um, An unbelievable amount of of in that race, there was about five cars standing. Then the rains came, thank goodness, because we probably would watched 15 laps of five cars running against each other. That would have been interesting. Uh, we'll start with you, Spencer Cowens. Since you were there, what are your thoughts on uh, the advanced auto parts clash at Daytona National Speedway last night?
2: Uh, it was single file like we all expected. You know, They just sit in one line and they log off laps until the end but unfortunately we didn't get to see the end because of the rain came. So as we all know, single file gets very boring and you just kick back and you put your feet on the row in front of you and you lean back in your seat and you just wait till somebody pulls out. But every time somebody pulled out, you know, you had to have, I was watching if four cars could do it, if four cars were in line, they couldn't do it. And then two dropped down in front and they could kind of make ground and get all the way up to third and then they'd stall out. So, um, it's just a product of, this type of racing, I guess, and they need to do something about it. So just single file. And that's what nobody wants to see.
1: Philip Matthew, what are your thoughts? I mean, here was a, a race that was pretty much dominated by Paul Menard and a 21 car. Team Penske has had a pretty dominant uh, stranglehold on these super speedway race, racing here where they can kind of dictate which line goes forward they could dictate a lot of things. Menard in a Penske car virtually, shirts of Wood Brothers, but they got a Penske chassis, uh, uh Rashid's engine. They got a lot of help from the Penske team. So we'll consider Menard sort of in the Penske group there. Uh, he had a dominant car all day. What were your thoughts on that last move? Do you think Jimmy Johnson got a little bit too aggressive? What are your thoughts on, on the last move with Johnson and the big crash at the end?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I was not impressed. Uh, I mean, I'm not, uh, I guess it doesn't really matter. I guess Jimmy Johnson will not will block me on Twitter. That's great if that happens. Uh, I mean, Kyle Bush has too, so it's whatever. It would be great. Uh, that wasn't really, a, for somebody who's a seven-time champion, he has 80-plus wins. I think if he, I mean, he's, and Paul Menard, the line of the whole entire day was Paul Menard's like, well, that's, but he does every time at restricted play races, he causes wrecks, and there's video proof of it. I forget, somebody on Twitter posted it or on Facebook where there's like a, a rewind revolving door of freaking either Paul Menard, or him hitting Paul Menard in these races. And I mean, granted, the, so he got out front, and he said it also in that interview, post uh, wrecked interview, that due to the weather conditions, the overcast conditions, that there's really nothing they could do. They're all going to be in a single file line, which is horrendous. Um, and then freaking Johnson ran into him, and they'll say, well, he got into him, got him loose, and then Paul Menard went and moved down and sucked them around and all. You can start getting in the machinations, and Jeff Gordon and his turtle lips got all wound up trying to figure out a way to defend his uh, driver there. Uh, When he flat wrecked the whole entire field the way that Chase Elliott wrecked six, seven cars the day before. Um, Yeah, product of racing, product of Daytona, product of, you know, I mean, wrecking race cars, not being able to clear a car or not being able to make a pass without running over somebody and wrecking 75% of the field is just pathetic. You know, it's like the Arca race the day before. You know, it's, and to me, that's, for the biggest race of the year to have to have the possibility that it's going to be similar to what we saw yesterday is sad. Uh, but, you know, it's a product of what I, I, for the last three, four, five years, it's been more guys will just drive into somebody and cause a wreck and whoever's left is left. I mean, Austin Dillon, to his credit, he's like, well, it's the Daytona 500. I'll run right through Eric Almerola. And that's what he did. And he won the Daytona 500 and that's that's what this is, you know. This started years ago during the... And, like, this is going all the way back to, like, 2008 with these COT cars when you block and then it'll send you into the freaking grandstands. This, this kind of stupidity and poor um, judgment. Uh, I mean, Jimmy Johnson has done this so many times, it's whatever, but because he's... Seven times and Dreisner andric and all these different things—it's okay. But it, to me, it was just a weak attempt. He's like, "Oh, the rain was coming," you know, and he didn't even have a good answer. He sat there and he just kind of like played it off, like, "Oh yeah, I wrecked the whole entire field. Oh, I feel good. I'm here to win races." I'm like, "Yeah, all right, then go and take your paycheck and go and cut a check to all the owners that you just wrecked seventeen freaking cars for."
1: Well, that's an interesting, uh, an interesting opinion. I personally think Jimmy just misjudged it and he couldn't, you know, it didn't come out in the minute. I think he thought he could side draft Paul Menard. And certainly I think Menard moved down a, a hair, maybe a foot. And maybe that was just enough, you know, with enough contact to, to send Menard spinning into the infield, uh, into the grass there on a backstretch, whatever it was, you know, Jimmy, I think misjudged there and, and took it out and it's tough. You know, you, the only way you can get by one of these race cars now is a side draft and it better be a good side draft where you can pull the guy down and slow him down a little bit. Through a side draft, and I think Jimmy tried to do that really hard, um, and and just misjudged it a little bit, and sent Paul Menard spinning in seventeen cars. And you bring up a good point, you know, and Harvard Kevin Harvick touched on this today. And and listen, I don't mean to toot my own horn, horn but I've been saying this about the Clash, and a 120, the one twenty, the one fifties, for a while now. I, I sang the praises last week on last week's show if you heard it. And Harvard comes out this week and says it's time to do away with this Clash. You know, this Clash is just all about tearing up race cars. Um, and that's what it's been the last few years. It's been a single file and it's, it, to me, it's, it's not really, I don't know what these teams are doing as far as it, do, maybe we need to open up the rules a little bit at Daytona because I think it would benefit the fans and benefit everybody. If we had rules that could really, um, you know, where we can work on these race cars and, and time on the track was important. But that's not the case right now. What's What's important is just tr- driving and fine-tuning these race cars. So, I mean, it's almost like the 150s and the Clash and all that. It's too much practice time. It's just I, I wish we opened up the rules at Daytona. I think these cars are sucked too close to the ground. I think that's a lot of the issue. And I know they didn't go with um, the tapered spacers package at the Daytona 500, and we're going to go with that at the rest of the Super speedway races the rest of the year. But, man, it's – this is a uh, – it was a tough race to watch yesterday. You know, if you're not in the wrecking and you're in the passing and you're into see the, the draft and what it used to be, uh, that wasn't the case. And I don't know what the deal is. For whatever reason, that bottom lane just does not seem to be it. You know, we used to see cars run single file here at Daytona before, and let's not pretend like we didn't. You know, we used to see them a lot run single file, but it was always on the bottom. And even in the ARCA race, the bottom lane was, was sort of the um, – the quickest way around now it's the top and I think it's momentum with these engines and maybe it's the Goodyear tires not falling off as much. I don't know what the issue is, but man, uh, we can't see what we saw on Sunday on Thursday and certainly on Sunday in the Daytona 500. Um, I think there would be need to be, there would need to be some major changes to this package here. If we saw what we saw, but Spencer, what's your take on that, on that last wreck? I know um, you probably had a pretty good view at it. At the racetrack, I'm sure there was a lot of people – well, uh, let's not say a lot of people, but the people in the stands yeah. were there and uh, and were talking about it on the way out of Daytona International Speedway. Uh, what was the what was the general consensus around Daytona International Speedway? Were a lot of people on Jimmy Johnson's side? Were a lot of people on Paul Menard's side? Uh, and what about the rain? I know there was a lot of people who thought maybe it was a little bit of a quick trigger by NASCAR because there was only five cars left. Give us your thoughts on, on the whole thing since you were there at the Daytona National Speedway?
2: Well, the the rain, or the heavy mist, whatever you want to call it, it was definitely the thickest and the worst that we've seen all day right before the wreck. Um, Jimmy was heading off into turn two, and I saw him lay back to the one, and and I said, well, here comes his run, and next thing you know, he dives the inside and wrecks, but I agree with you. I think he just misjudged it, and um, I guess they were saying Paul's car or Jimmy said Paul's car got a little squirrely and kind of moved down so I think it was just a misjudgment and like you said you got to you gotta get on that panel and suck him back and he just made contact I mean it's harder said it's easier said than done uh, or harder said than it's harder to do than what we think and at 200 miles an hour so it's just a misjudgment but nobody was really talking about it after the race you know obviously they were kind of upset that the race was short and everybody was scrambling for the rain but the rain was definitely coming, and he said that he saw an airplane land, and the only thing he saw was the flashing lights on the airplane, so he knew it was time to go. That's why he laid back. So they definitely made the right call, call in the race because it didn't stop raining. It rained all that night, so they couldn't get the race going back anyway. So
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. I think um, when we saw Jimmy Johnson bring out the umbrella and that 48 car bring out the umbrella, uh, it certainly was a, a fact where you looked at it and said, okay, they certainly um they, it was certainly raining harder than we what we saw all day long there. It was just you know with with how much rain we had we had three uh, two or three stoppages in that race uh, due to rain, and it was just sort of like sure. you're in, a, in a situation where uh, maybe we could have you know um, i don't know you felt the way that it, because it was pulled so quick that maybe we could have after ten twenty minutes fifteen twenty minutes ran the last seventeen laps of that race but I want to get your opinion on this. How about shortening this clash? I mean, 75 laps is a lot. I think that the caution, the way they did it, and I think that there are two things. Let me talk about this first. And I don't know, and Spencer, I'll get your opinion on this later because I, I want to know how it was at the racetrack. But on TV, um, when they threw that caution out and, and there was that, that an absolutely inexcusable, and this is the second time we've seen this with all-star races, inexcusable debacle of, of timing and scoring by NASCAR. We, we electronically do this, and we still can't get it right. I mean, it's, it's amazing to think we didn't have electronic scoring until 1993 with how they screw this up every now and then. Um, it, it, I don't understand. First of all, I, I hate the caution with 25, 25 laps in. To me, if you want to run a 75-lap race, I'm fine with it. I'm not fine with it. I want it shorter. But why throw a caution in the middle of it? I mean, dumb. Uh, to me, it should be a 30, 30 to 40-lap race. You want to do two 20-lap segments, fine, whatever. I'm okay with that. No, no more than that. But why not close pit road with two laps to go before the caution like they do every single race the rest of the year so we don't get into these timing and scoring situations like we saw uh, on Sunday during the Advance Auto Parts Clash? I mean, people were coming off pit road, f- freezing the field, so it was, it was just it was a nightmare. Uh, and what were your thoughts on, on, on just, I guess, on the whole format of that race, Philip? Is seventy-five laps a caution in the middle? What are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, you brought it up earlier about Harvick's post uh, about uh, basically you should can either get rid of or change or put it back to what it was before. These the the clash in its original format was a twenty-lap race, and that in it, and I was explaining this to my mother who's for all the years that I've watched racing, it's going on 20 plus, uh, you know, it's there 25 plus years. And she, if you explaining to her, trying to explain to her what's going on with the clash today and how she asked me, who's in it. And when I got into that, I'm like, Oh man, this is not good. Trying to explain how stupid the, the, the they change the rules every year it for is. Who gets in and how they get in and, Stuff like that. And that's just one piece of it. And then if I started mm-hmm. to get into the, the format, oh, forget it. But then I started talking about, because I remember Ken Squire, and I, I watched it on YouTube recently, how he'd market, it. He'd go and sit there on his mic and say, this is the fastest race you're going to see all year. You make more money to, in half an hour than you'd make in other races. And the whole, like, he had all these, you know, flashy Big thing because it was Ken Squire because that's why he's a freaking legend. He could he could make people going to the bathroom sound interesting. That's how good Ken Squire is, you know. Like, but mm-hmm. that's the thing. It was twenty laps. You know, you literally or or you go and put it put it back to do an invert. You know, like they used to do the invert in the bush clash. And right. Taylor Earnhardt, to his credit, because of how great he was, would somehow or another get shuffled back to twelfth. And within, like, a lap or two, like he did in his final win, figure out a way to get up to the front. You know, like, that's what was – but then there's a whole bunch of different things that went on and how the cars were back then and how he drove relative to other guys. And there's, the reality is the race is too long. They have too many gimmicks. They have too much bull. Just just keep it it's, – it's simple. You win a pole last – the year before – you make it into the race:
1: I if
2: agree you've
0: won. if you've won the clash within the last you know <sighs> we'll just say in the last decade, like they used to do with the all, with the Winston all-Star race, then you're in. otherwise, <laughs> you get to watch like everybody else, you know like that's and there would be 10, 12 maybe no more than 15 cars. They had a lot of pole winners last year. I, I mean, it's weird to think, but they did. So, But yeah. keep it simple. Make it a half-hour, hour show, and let's, and let's be honest. If it was an hour show, they'd have gotten that whole deal in. And they yeah. probably would have gotten a wreck in real quick either way because that's what happens with all these restricted play races. Somebody does something and they run into everybody and they wreck half the field. That's what rest- right. this restricted play package is. So instead of having 75 laps, Jimmy Johnson's like, oh, I have to make my move and shoot the moon and wreck out the field. But three-quarters of the field, you could do it in a half hour, an hour, and you'd still get the same result. There's well, no think... reason to have it the way it is. They can make it simpler, and because of who they market to and they've marketed to, which is part of the reason why the sport is where it is, you could put it back to 20 laps, and it would be just fine.
1: Yeah, and I think... It, it, a couple of interesting points you brought up. I, when I f- sat and watched this race and I and I saw the caution come out 25 laps ago, I said, boy, it would be a lot more interesting if they had money available at like the halfway point where you made a 50-lap race and 25 laps. You get $50,000 and then $100,000 if you win, and then you invert the field. So the best car who wanted to get that, how, not even 50, that's jump change to these guys, put 100, dollars $150,000 put it out there and say, go for it. We want to see racing continuously throughout the race. I think it would be amazing to watch that and then invert the field and go, go through that. Uh, I do think it's too long. You know, I, I, I'm not sure why we have to take 20 cars. Like you said, um, I would, uh, again, I'm okay with taking past winners of the last decade, uh, pole winners from last year and maybe the rookie of the year from the year before I'm okay with that because I think it gives rookie of the year some recognition. I, I'm, I would swallow that a lot better than, than what we see now where if, you know, you sat on the Daytona 500 pole 15 years ago. You're in the you're in the Bush Clash, whatever Danica, the heck you want to call it now, the Danica rule, right? So it, to me, it's kind of goofy. But Spencer, I want to get your opinion just real quick before we move on to Daytona 500 qualifying on the scoring mix-up. Did you guys notice anything in the stands that there was a scoring mix-up where you watched Kyle Bush go from what was like second to ninth and a couple of cars moving and shifting in the back straightaway? Did they mention that on the track PA system or, or on the radio? uh what were you what were your Yeah, thoughts? they mentioned it what okay so they how was that it. like what was that like when you guys were in the stands watching that uh what what were your thoughts what was going through your brain
2: well he in front of us he slowed down and was dropped back a few more spots and then when he got on the back straight away he moved more and then they added another lap or another two laps whatever it was i don't remember but and then they said on the thing, uh, the scoring's off. So Kyle Busch isn't in the right spot or whatever they came on. They said they're trying to figure out where he needs to be. And then he finally found his spot. So that's really, really what – they didn't make a big deal, but they mentioned it over the PA system.
1: Interesting. Okay, I want to – it's just to me because when with TV and all the angles we see, I feel like that stuff is easier to be translated on TV than would be at the actual race Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. 917-889-8280. Talking circles. Clayton Caldwell with Spencer Cowan and Philip Matthew here on Talking Circles. Daytona 500 qualifying was yesterday as well. Listen, not the most exciting qualifying. We get that. Single car runs, sort of shotgun going for the field, Um, but still a very important qualifying race because you look at it and you sit on the pole for this race for a week instead of two days like you would everywhere else. It's William Byron on the pole for the Daytona 500. Alex Bowman on the outside. Hendrick Motorsports swept one, two, three, four in both rounds of qualifying. Alex Bowman won the first round. Then it was Byron Elliott and Johnson in round one. Then in round two, it was Byron Bowman Johnson and Chase Elliott. Uh, what do you guys think Hendrick Motorsports do does here? We'll start with Philip Matthew. What do you think Hendrick Motorsports has? The last five years they sat on the poll, I think it's nine of the last 12 now, they've taken the poll for the Daytona 500. And, and to be let's be honest, it really hasn't translated into that much success. Aside from Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Jimmy Johnson winning the Daytona 500, um, they haven't gone out there and completely dominated these races like we've seen nope. them do in qualifying. And remember, they had that issue a few years ago where Junior kind of wrecked by himself. Jimmy Johnson wrecked by himself. Chase Elliott wrecked by himself, come off of turn four, where they seem to have a skew in the car. It doesn't handle as, as well. Um, so I guess what I'm getting at is, what does Hendrick do, and will they be a threat in the Daytona 500?
0: Yeah, I mean, they... I mean, because they have two apologists in the booth that both uh, used to work or do work for him, they kiss his butt, they go and talk about how they make this emphasis about, you know, emphasis on qualifying, and that's that's great. I mean, Robert Yates Racing back, you know, 20 years ago used to put an emphasis on qualifying at the Daytona 500, but the difference was his cars actually would run well in the Daytona 500. Uh, over these past few years, uh, these guys qualify on the pole, and through whatever reason, whether it's before they get to the duels, before they get to the race, they in the race they wreck, and then something happens, they get they wreck. I mean, credit to whatever, credit to, to Rick Hendrick, and and they got the top four, good for them. It's it's all great. People get to talk about it. Oh, William Byron and. Chad Canal so how miraculous. Oh, it's his first poll of his career and Chad Canal's holy mother of God it's how many years since he took Jimmy Johnson and put him on the poll at Daytona as a rookie. It's so grand and it's like let's watch him on Thursday. Because the fact is there isn't one lick of practice between now and Thursday, which goes to your point, Clayton, about shortening this week. Uh, because they had two nonsensical qualifying practices which don't do anything. And then they had one, one clash practice, which obviously ended because of Chase Elliott. And then they couldn't get cars out of the infield because they were too low. So, it's like, <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the Keystone cops level stuff that's gone on and it's only been a couple of days is, is a bad, bad sign, bad precursor. I hope it'll turn around by Thursday. Um, uh, You know, uh, I mean, good on Willie Byron. He's a kid who's shown a lot of talent in a short amount of time and has accelerated through the ranks. And now he put the 24 on the pole for the Daytona 500. What is he going to do on Sunday? We have no idea. Uh, What is he going to do on Thursday? If it's anything like what Alex Bowman did last year, he's going to take a slingshot right to the back and – Hold on for dear life to get to the pit stop so that they can make adjustments to make the car drivable.
2: Um,
0: it's I, I I take more I, I'm more interested in in what's going to happen on Thursday than what happened on yesterday because I think it's basically become a thing now where they always have to have a story at the Daytona 500 qualifying,
1: manufactured or not whatever well yeah it it's it's you know hendrick is just they seem to focus like i said so much on this race it really doesn't translate into the racing you're right i'm curious to see how they go thursday um everybody remembers william byron or excuse me alex bowman going to the rear last year that was alarming because you sat there and said you know is that really the best strategy to do that you know god forbid Something happened, and I, that's why I don't like the back And You can say what you want while you wreck anywhere, and yesterday for sure points that out even more because Paul Menard was winning the race, and he, and he wrecked. There was contact, and he wrecked. So you can wreck anywhere on these play tracks, but you get back there with the slower cars. You just never know what's going to happen. Um, so I like, I like staying up in the front and trying to stay up front and getting your sponsors of closure and, work on, and fine-tuning your race car to make it absolutely perfect to try and win the Daytona 500. Um, man, Spencer... Was there anything that stuck out for you uh, in qualifying yesterday? I know you're uh, a guy who looks at, at, you know, you like the Hendrick Motorsports teams. You're, uh, you know, what stood out for you as far as um, qualifying yesterday and before we get into the go-or-go-home teams um, and, and that whole situation there?
2: Well, you know, like I said in last show, you know, Hendrick, we all take the Hendrick car to sit on the front row. You know, they always do good in qualifying. But like you said, it never transitions into the race. You know, Hendrick Motorsports led a total of 17 laps last year in the Daytona 500. So, but there's no doubt that, you know, last five years they've sat on the front row and Hendrick takes restrictor plate speedway uh, qualifying important. So they said they work very hard to qualify good at these tracks and it shows, but it never transitions into the race. So we'll see on Sunday, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that team performs for sure. Uh, so the go-go-home teams, we thought originally there was going to be eight of them, that maybe two cars on the last time we had talk circle here, that maybe two cars added, questionable about coming down, so was NY Racing. Both of those teams have shady histories of, of saying they're going to run and then not run. Obeka, Tanner Berryhill was very surprised by that team pulling out of the Daytona 500. They announced earlier this year they were not only going to run full-time in in Cup, but also full-time in Xfinity. And guess what? They're not on the Xfinity Series entry list either. I know. You're surprised. Me too. But that just shows you about Obeca Racing. So there were six cars that are, I guess you consider, go-or-go-home teams, open teams that don't have charters for four spots. So two are going to go home. Two teams locked themselves into the Daytona 500 yesterday. One was Tyler Reddick. It wasn't even close. Reddick qualified 16th. Had a lap at 190.84 miles per hour, a 47.161 for the Justin Alexander-led crew at Richard Childress Racing. Then the second team that locked themselves in was Casey Mears at Jermaine Racing. Casey Mears, 189.85 miles per hour, 47.406 for the Pat Trison-led team there at a second car at Jermaine Racing. Those teams locked themselves in. A team I was really surprised to see put up a good lap, one of the open teams, was just because they haven't been on the racetrack in, t- in three or four years, is Tommy Baldwin racing. Uh, Truex was right on top of Casey Mears. was right below him. He was uh, 25 one-hundredths of a second behind Casey Mears, so he was right there. But that's the difference between being locked into Daytona 500 and not for Ryan Truex and it's Brendan Gaughan. Both Truex and Gaughan can get in on their qualifying speed depending on what Reddick and Mears do in the duels. They still have to run the duels, Reddick and Mears, so if they are the top finishing open team in the duel, the qualifying positions open up to the teams to next teams in qualifying. The first one would be Ryan Schwicks, then it would go to Brendan Gaughan. The final two open teams have no chance at making an under-qualifying speed and must race their way in. Parker Kligerman, who put up a, an okay lap at 188.21 miles per hour for uh, the Gaunt Brothers racing team. And then it's Joey Gase, who, oh my goodness, was two miles an hour slower than B.J. McLeod in 41st and was a whopping 13 miles an hour slower than the than the first-round speed of Alex Bowman. Uh, they got a lot of work to do over there at NBM Motorsports if they want to make this Daytona 500. So, uh, Philip, what are your thoughts here on who makes this 500? And was there really a, an open team that you saw that put up a good lap uh, in the in Daytona 500 qualifying?
0: Yeah, I mean, we talked about it last week. I kind of went out on a limb about Tyler Reddick, and based on how RCR did in general, uh, Hemrick put up the fifth fastest time, Uh, you know, Austin Dillon made the top 12. There's one thing that we we haven't mentioned is about how the 9, the 3, and the 13 didn't get through pre-qualifying inspection and they got their car chiefs thrown out already. So Chase Elliott's already doing pretty well so far this week. Wreck, caused a wreck and got his car chief thrown out. And But somehow or another, you know, Chase Elliott and Austin Dillon both made the top 12 uh, the second round of qualifying, and that connected with uh, Tyler Reddick there. He made the show on time. I'm not shocked by that. I was shocked by the... The Jerome slash uh, whatever whatever they call themselves, or the J Robinson team, premium premium motorsports uh, pseudo effort um, running fast enough, but theoretically there's like an RCR connection. But then you consider the thirteen and the forty two were dog crap, and but the eight and the three were good, and the thirty one. I, I don't know what, but. I was surprised by Casey Mears, uh, but you know, when you consider that there's like an RCR connection with at least three of those cars, because the, the the Beard 62 with Brendan Gone is basically an RCR car as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reality is, I'm I wasn't surprised about Kyle Reddick. I was glad to hear that the defending Xfinity champion will make his uh, Cup debut in the Daytona 500. Uh, it's a cool thing, three three RCR cars, theoretical, RC, like, named RCR cars will be in the show. There's a possibility of six or seven, uh, the way everything works out, if things work out the way they do on Thursday. Uh, Casey Mears hasn't run a race in 16, going and jumping in, last-minute deal, putting it in the show. Uh, it's a good deal for him, uh, and uh, we'll see what happens with that. And, you know, with the restrictor plates and all that we 'll see how that works i what I got a kick out of this afternoon I read a tweet from Ryan Truex, or depending on the great the reddit fan uh, Ryan Turex jr uh going and saying that his and parker quiggerman's friendship is ended uh, and mm-hmm. you have to pick a side between him or Parker Quiggerman between now and Thursday since they're battling for the spot, to, which I got a kick out of. It's that and like Cory LeJoy's fate mug on his slow mug thing. And there's just the little things you have to watch to kind of entertain yourself. That one is a good deal. I, Long story short, I, I think Brian Truex and Brendan will both make the show. Unfortunately, I mean, Mark Parker Kligerman, that 96 car last year, and these last couple of years have been good at Daytona. But will he get enough help to make it in the show? I don't think so. Um, Carl Long, I have all the respect in the world for him and what he's gone through with the sport, the things he's done. But the car is just too slow, and you'll need mm-hmm. he would need, like what Brian Kozlowski had with his brother pushing him Into the Daytona 500, and you can't can them anymore, and you can't push people anymore. He would need a lot of help uh, to make the race. I mean, it's basically it's basically you know the 71, the the 62, and the 96, hoping that they can make make two spots. You know, so it's three for two. We'll see what happens on Thursday.
1: Yeah, that 66 I think is going to have a real, real tough time with that speed. When you look at that speed and the speed of the Rick Ware cars, which I'll get it to in a little bit, uh, it looks like they might have a tough time hanging on to the draft there. You've got to pick up that speed. That was, um, you know, when you're that far off the rest of the field, Both, all three of those cars really, um, you know, they're going to have a tough time hanging on to the draft. Anything that stuck out in your mind there, Spencer, from qualifying, looking at it, even teams that, are, that aren't open. I mean, there was a, a one driver who I was really surprised to see them so low on the list, and I know it's Daytona 500 qualifying, and every year, guys, and this is for Philip, and I'm sure Spencer knows this already, I always overanalyze this qualifying session. I say, oh, well, why is the speed down? Will this be something we're going to see uh, in Atlanta? Will this be, you know, the speed of the of these cars? Will it be something we're going to speed see uh, Atlanta, Vegas? Does the speed here me translate anywhere else? And I'm always wrong, but I love the Daytona 500 qualifying. I love that it, it used to be – listen – and for Spencer, he's too young to remember this. It used to be something that was really, really intense. A lot of good teams always missed the Daytona 500. Uh, yeah. It was a lot of fun to watch Daytona 500 qualifying. Now it's turned into eight cars that anybody really cares about. But, uh, Spencer, was there anybody who really stuck out? I'll tell you a guy, and I'll give you a guy, Kyle Larson. I mean, and I'm interested to see how they on. draft. i tell you, 32nd, and he was, you know, behind Matt Matthew Benedetto, Brandon Gaughan, Ryan Truex. I mean – That's a a kind of an eye-opener lap. You're sitting there going, wow, that's a Hendrick Motorsports engine in that 42 car to be that far off. uh, It was a little bit of alarming, I think, if you're a a Kyle Larson fan, no doubt about it.
2: Yeah, well, I am a Kyle Larson fan. And when he crossed the line, and I think it said 13th, I was like, oh, boy, here we go. And it shocked me because, like you said, he has Hendrick engines, and Hendrick engines always do well in qualifying. And he obviously didn't do as well as the actual Team Hendrick as we can all see, but yeah, I want to see how he does in the draft. I was very disappointed with his lap, but what can you do?
1: Yeah, and I think a guy I was very impressed with, Spencer, was Daniel Hemrick's lap in round two. I mean, this is a guy who a lot of people look at and say, he could be the next big thing, the next big thing in cup. Everybody's saying, oh, oh. And to me, um, I wanted to see him win some races. I think the kid's got all the talent in the world. I wanted to see him win some races and learn how to talent. win a race. But, a lot of it. Uh, yeah. and again, it's it's Daytona 500 qualifying, and I over, always overanalyze this stuff. But I thought that lap in round two that was an eye opener. You just sat there and went, "Wow, that eight car's got a lot of speed." Richard Childress Racing always seems to have a lot of speed here. Um, but I was really surprised to see. I was really happy um, to see uh, Daniel Hemrick's fifth qualifying run, and I, I'm that's the guy I'm gonna have my eye on on Thursday because. He's up there. He's probably starting it. And, again, it's kind of funky with how they do the, with the open cars. They have their three in each race, so it screws up inside, outside, how it used to be. Um, but I'm curious to see how he runs. He's starting, like, second or third in his duel. He's going to have a really strong car, uh, 50th anniversary, that nice, beautiful gold scheme. Um, That's somebody I'm watching here on Thursday in the one fifty. He said he was shocked at his lap. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> who are you watching, Spencer, in the 150s? Anybody got you guys on uh, after watching qualifying or watching this week, the 150s, to see how they do?
2: Um, not really. I mean, I'm obviously going to watch the teams who have to race their way in. I think that's – I mean, if you're a big race fan and you know the sport well, I think that's the people you really watch and you watch your favorite driver. But I think good – The top tier teams that qualified way back, like Kyle Larson, I'm sure he doesn't want to start 32nd. So, I mean, he's one to watch. So, I think any big team that qualified low, and I haven't exactly looked at the list and see where everybody's starting, but any big team that's down there, I think you need to watch them because they definitely don't want to start way back in the back of the field.
1: Now, do you think that way, Philip? Do you think these teams look at these races and say, I don't want to start in a really day 2500? One thing about this package, what it does is I think it creates some motivation to not hang in the back as much. You know, we've seen races in the past where um, – and in, in here at Daytona, and Dale Jarrett was notorious for this. It goes back to his heyday where he'd sit in the back for 50, 60 laps and say, you know, I'll let you guys knock each other around, wreck each other, do what you got to do. And when it comes to 50 to go, I'm going to start my charge to get up to the front because I have the car that I, I'm confident my car is going to be there. I'm confident we'll have the horsepower to get up there and race. Right now, because track position is such a big issue and it's so hard to pass at this track, it's sort of the, that takes that strategy and throws it out the window because you look at it and you say, well, if you sit in the back and you hang in the back all day, you're not going to get up there. And you could get into a situation where if those cars get single file and you're hanging in the back and there's only three or four cars and they're not very fast, you could lose a draft, you could lose a lap. So it sort of takes that sitting out in the back strategy and throws it out the window for the Daytona 500 I guess that makes me think that these teams are going to run real hard. I'm not sure how much they look at the points factor. These points, these duels are worth some points here. Tenth for first place, one for tenth place, and then you know uh, going down in between. What do you think about these duels, Philip? Is there anybody that you got your eye on? You know, Spencer's going to watch the 42. I'm going to watch the 42 to see how he can get back there, see if he can get to the front. Is there anybody else you're going to watch, Philip? As we get ready, as these duels go, and, and as we watch these duels here on Thursday night.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm, as as a fan of this guy and because of how bad uh, his qualifying was and how well he did a year ago uh, this week, now, I'm going to be looking at the guy who's starting 17th in duel number one, and that's Darrell Wallace Jr. and the uh, Richard Petty 43. Uh, he ran, he had a slow qualifying, relatively slow, not as slow, I don't believe, as this year or last year, and had a great drafting car, got all the way to the front in his duel, got a good finish in his duel. And it led to what we all saw a couple days later, where he finished second in the Daytona 500. I'm curious to see what he has in the draft. Um, He's had a tumultuous off season. I'm curious to see how they respond uh, in the draft. I'm, you know, I, I, I've had a I've been a fan of Cat landing Castle. I don't know what that double is gonna be like. Uh we'll see what they do. That first that first Terrible. duel Yeah, well, I mean Castle's better than what he's usually driven in for a long Agreed. time. But uh the reality is the first duel is pretty top loaded. There's a lot of good talent there. You got the you got the Johnsons and Keselowski's and Kyle Bush and Kevin Harvick's of the world in there, and you have a lot of. It's pretty loaded. That second duel has some has some talent, of course. Chase Elliott and defending series champion Logano and people like that. YRB, you know, Kurt Busch. You finished second yesterday. I mean, there. But the reality is, there's a little bit more. And usually that first duel dictates what happens in the second. If the first duel is a wreck fest, second duel is going to be calm. If the first duel is pretty calm, vice versa. And also thinking about what Paul Menard said in his post race interview, talking about how the weather will dictate how these cars race, being that it'll be cooler conditions at night on Thursday night. I don't know if we're going to see much better racing. So I'm curious mm-hmm. to see if it'll be much of a change from what we saw yesterday afternoon, um, obviously with points on the line could dictate a little different starting positions, which also dictates pit, pit position. Selection. Could dictate something. Yeah. You know, like that, those things might be in play. Um, The, what, what Spencer brought up about the non, the non-qualified cars. That's, that's really what the race is about, how much time they'll actually focus on it because it's Fox. They probably will not spend a whole lot. But the reality <laughs> is that's the story. Um, we'll see what happens. And then when you'll hear about Daryl and Jeff yelling about how great Hendrick Motorsports is because that's what they have to do all the time. Or Daryl talking about Toyota because he's a show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was 788 eight, 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 Um Listen, I think... It, it, these duels, they used to be. My, and I told you guys this before. This used to be my favorite races, and they still are. I love these races. Uh, short one fifties. Um, you know, I love the five hundred. The five hundred's great. This whole weekend, it used to be. These races used to be very, very intense. I was in it with David Reagan a few years ago, where Reagan, they, if you remember, when Front Row Motorsports went to three cars when they got Cole Witt in the fold, uh, Reagan had no points, and he spun on the infield and nearly hit the inside wall. Hit the inside wall and nearly took himself out of the Daytona five hundred. And if he missed that 500, he doesn't get in the 18 car or the 55 because they, there's no need to run him because he would have missed that race. So uh, it all kind of plays into, into it. So uh, those races, it, they're intense. They're fun to watch. I've seen last lap crashes where there was one time uh, Bobby Labonte, both Bobby Labonte and Terry Labonte were going to miss the 500, and Bobby was going to knock Terry out to the past Champions provisional, And then a big wreck at the end. Bobby qualified his way in. Terry got into the past Champions. It was wild on the final lap. And that all went down. But that's what I love about these races. It's just – they're so unpredictable as far as who's going to make it and who's going who's to not. Um, you know, here's one thing I want to touch on about qualifying, guys, and this is where my blood boils a little bit, and stay with me here. I'm going to sit up in my chair and get a little bit uh, – put on my angry pants here because this is what drives me crazy about, the, about these charters, and I'm sorry. Uh, look at Ryan Truex. Like I said, he turned the lap at 189 miles an hour. He was six miles an hour faster than Cody Ware in 40th and over seven miles an hour faster than BG McLeod in 41st. And both Ware and McLeod are going to run that Daytona 500, not have to work. They're probably not going to hang out to the draft. Their strategy is going to be team up with each other. We'll draft with each other, although I don't think they're in the same duel, thank goodness. No, they're not. But hang in the back, not do anything wrong, and just kind of sit there and, and not tear up our stuff drives me nuts because it hurts the competition today the daytona 500 it hurts the competition on these 150s to have these slow race teams in this race and i think it hurts the integrity of this race because truex puts up a much faster time he's going to put up a much better effort in the 150s and he could potentially go home it's just I, i'm sorry guys i just i think it's so wrong how the charters ruin all of that um and and i just think it's wrong i just I don't know how else to also explain. It. I just think it's totally wrong. It ruins the competition for um, gone the Daytona 500. Many years, yeah, you're right. It's gone and, on for and,
0: many years with the top 35 rule and when they're shifting points what? around to that, like the, the that was ridiculous. Whatever. The yeah, that was that, ridiculous. That guy when when that he was running for Front Row Motorsports with the with the erectile dysfunction sponsorship, whatever his name Co- was,
1: Kevin Conway. Um, yeah.
0: Kevin Conway, like, he would go and they would keep on switching his car at Front Row Motorsports because they had to figure out which car was inside the top 35 because he was so bad they needed him to make the race. And then it became a joke. Like, that's what it is, you know. And it's a sad commentary, but, hey, I I hope what Jim France and Steve Phelps and what they've been saying and what they've been doing really comes to fruition because they've been spending a lot of time trying to walk back the damage that has been done by BZF and his cronies, and uh, I mean, I'm curious to see if that'll actually come through. Me too. Uh, I, I mean, it would be it would be to the benefit of the sport if does come through because they need it. Uh, but we will see. But I do agree with you on how a freaking you know Rick Ware racing who barely can make truck races and proximity races and they just fill fields. It's it's the same thing. It talks about it goes back to the seedy underlings at the bottom of the field who somehow or another get, get these quote charters, which is the Rob Kaufman excuse for <laughs> bailing out MW 55. That's basically all this is, you know, the RCA right. and all this is Rob Kaufman's function to justify having to bail out that ferry all those years ago because he couldn't run a race, doesn't know how to run a race team and couldn't make races and and he held them on for like six, seven years. He kept them afloat and it's just a shame really.
1: Well and I say this about top thirty five before we I don't want to get to spend too much time on this 'cause it uh it can be a topic that can get a little bit dry. Um but top thirty five at least you after five races you had to perform or you'd fall out. These, you know, you don't really you could stay all you could stay running bad all year. So um that's what drives me crazy about this and, and again I just you know it would be a much better Daytona five hundred to watch the seventy one go out there and compete and the sixty two go out there and compete, not have to worry about it because they qualified very, very well and much better and they were much faster. To me that makes much more sense. But we're in twenty nineteen and I need to keep that in mind here as we go forward. Nine one seven, eight eight nine, eight two eight zero talking in circles, Clayton Caldwell with Spencer Cowan and Philip Matthew here. Tonight on talking circles, Daytona 500 is coming up on Sunday. We have the truck race and Xfinity Series racing here on Saturday. The Xfinity Series race trucks on Friday night. Uh, duels on Thursday. Um, what What do you guys most look forward to, Spencer? I'll start with you. Uh, obviously, Daytona the, the Daytona 500 is the Daytona 500. It's uh, the granddaddy of them all. It's as much as we you know can not like the format or, and, and kind of say this package needs to step up. It's still a Daytona 500. You still wake up Daytona 500 in the morning and go, man, this is, this is great. Um, this is fun. This is Daytona 500. It's awesome. Uh, what are you most looking forward to, Spencer, the rest of Speed Weeks? Is it, you know, a lot of people prefer the truck race. A lot of people love the Xfinity Series race. Uh, and, of course, the Daytona 500. What, what, and even the duels. What are you most looking forward to as Speed Weeks rolls along here?
2: Well, my favorite series is the Xfinity series, and I'm I'm pretty excited to see how the new Supers are going to do, even though I think they're god-ugly, but whatever. But, yeah, I want to see how that plays out. And the trucks are always fun. You know, it's at night. They're exciting. they got a lot of action. So it's racing at the racetrack, so any race I'm excited to go to. So, But mostly Saturday. See how that goes.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Saturday's oh, it's a lot of fun, that race. As well, it's uh, so, something you touched on earlier on the show. How do you think this affects these teams? You talked about Chase Elliott, uh, Austin Dillon losing their car chiefs. There was one more in there that that I'm that's keeping my mind Hi. right now. Ty Dillon, right? Thank you. Uh, losing their car chiefs, getting some penalized here at Daytona. Um, again, I, I one of the, my gripes about Daytona is that I would like to see the rules open up a little bit, so they're not all so much the same. And I think we could see, believe it or not, more passing that way. Um, How do you think losing their car chiefs will affect them? And, uh, you know, if you're – and I guess this is kind of a a loaded question. It's a lot here. But, you know, we saw some teams lose some uh, their clash cars. Uh, And they still have their backup from, obviously, uh, that they they decided to bring down, especially the Ford teams. You know, you look at – Um, I'm not sure Ryan Newman, I don't think he was in a backup, but a lot of the cars lost their Clash cars. So the Ford teams are switching over to the Mustang, and we know that that it's a brand-new car. They might not have that much time to uh, build five, six Super Speedway cars. Um, Do you think maybe the Ford teams, like the Newmans of the world, who lost this backup car, got got into a wreck even in practice for the the, uh, Clash, do you think they kind of take this 150 and say, I'm in, I'm in the Daytona 500. I got a really good car. I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to hang out and, and not go anywhere in these duels. Learn what I need to learn from the race car, but I'm not going to push anything. I'm not going to go three wide. Do you think that's a possibility for these Ford teams, uh, for the teams, for these teams that lost their cars in a duel, in the clash, especially these Ford teams who might not have 10 or 15 cars lying around? What are your thoughts on that?
0: I mean, a couple of those are some good points there brought up. I I don't think the car chief thing really matters. It'll matter more if if it. I mean, when it comes to Hendrick Motorsports and RCR, uh, they have a, a basically. It's kind of like I was thinking about this earlier. I was thinking about the show and thinking about how I'm gonna explain. And it's like having Clemson in Alabama. You know, like that's what to me, like, what it is. Clemson and Alabama have three, four, five, five-star prospects that can, you know, come through and come in and 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 replace the big, the lead dog. I mean, will they be as good as Trevor Lawrence or Tua or whoever? No, but, or maybe they will be, you know, but that's the way I look at it, especially Hendrick Motorsports, because they've gotten nailed so much over the years, and Jimmy Johnson, Jadkin Knauss, Chad Knaus got threw out in 2006 with an illegal car, and they still won with with uh, with Darian Grubb a week later at the Daytona 500. So, and then in 13, I think they had an issue too, and they still won the Daytona 500. So, you know, they I don't think it's going to be as much of an effect this week. I think it's more of an effect for next week. Uh, the Ford teams going and being a little more conservative. Not so sure on that. Uh, I think when it comes to, like, your team front row motorsports and David Reagan, I know David Reagan really loves restrictor plate racing, but I don't think that he's going to be as conservative because he knows that it's an opportunity race for him and Matt okay. driver. And, I mean, for Matt Tift, I think it'll be a little more conservative for him uh, because they're brand new, really brand new. Uh, Newman and, and Stenhouse, I mean, people hooked the Stenhouse with wrecking fields all the time. I mean, he's the same guy that a couple of years ago won two of the four play races. Uh, he's aggressive, just like Jamie McMurray, who's caused a lot of accidents, and like Jimmy Johnson, has a lot of accidents over the years in these plate races. I don't think that the Penske's and the Stuart Haas's and, to a lesser extent, Roush's of the world are going to be conservative. Um, front row, maybe. But I don't think when you have uh, two guys that are pretty solid, really, I mean, in David Reagan's case, he's proven this is his cup of tea. Um, when, and Michael McDowell, between here and the road courses, are where he does most of the damage. Um, I don't think you're going to be as conservative uh, because it's for qualifying position, it's for pit road position. They kind of have to run. Matt Tiff, I don't think... I think Matt Tip is trying to get through this weekend and then we'll see, you know, he'll start, he'll start settling in next week at Atlanta and we'll kind of go from there. I mean, it might be mm-hmm. different for him than other teams uh, for right. thinking about the week. And I mean, it's just great to have racing again, having cup racing back. Having I mean, for all we can gripe we can talk about, but it's just fun to have it. Again. It is. Um, it is. And having a truck race, it's, The truck race starts at Thursday, but it doesn't really have as much cachet as it used to. Friday night, truck racing, you have all these young young guns that are in there, a lot of talent, and how aggressive the race gets and the obvious wrecks that are going to happen kind of builds and it builds and it builds with the 300, which is a classic race, one of the biggest and not the biggest race of the year for the Xfinity Series, and it builds to the great American race. So, right. I mean, is there one favorite thing? I think my one favorite thing is that we have this again, yet again, for how many years, and we get to talk about it. I I think that's as much fun, if not more, that like we get to talk about it here, and
1: we'll get to right. talk about
0: it again next week. So,
1: For sure. And I'll tell you, something brought up Matt Tift, it's interesting, because I remember when uh, Ryan Reed made his uh, Cup Series debut a few years ago, at Talladega Super Speedway, and they asked him the big difference, and he's like, man, these cup guys, this is way harder than what it is in the Xfinity Series. It just is. you know." And he didn't really perform all that well, and when you looked at his Xfinity Series performance in the Daytona and Talladega races, he was great. So it might be a little bit of a learning curve for Matt Tift. Um, and we'll see if it's the same deal with Daniel Hemrick. We'll see if it's the same deal with Ryan Priest on these Super Speedway tracks where it's a lot big of a of a learning curve for these young rookies who have never done this before on a super speedway track. Um, you know, Spencer, I want to get your opinion here, and I want to get all our picks in for the Daytona 500. Has, let's just say this, before going into this speed weeks, I'm sure you had a couple of guys in mind of who you thought was going to win this Daytona 500. Has it changed at all by watching what we've seen in the clash in the Daytona 500 qualifying, and who's your pick to win the Daytona 500? And then I'll get Phillip's opinion.
2: No, it hasn't changed at all. It's the same. Uh, I'm still going to stick with Team Penty.
1: I mean, it's a no-brainer. It's kind of hard
2: not to go with them. Ryan Blaney led 118 laps in last year's Daytona 500, and we've obviously known the success that Joey and Brad have had on Daytona and Talladega. So I'm going to either have to go with – you know, I'm not going to consider Paul in this either. No, he had a fast car, but – the 12, the 2, and the 22, but the 2 is – people need to be betting on him in Vegas, that's for sure.
1: I agree. He's done every – one every stretch plate race there is to win, basically, except the Daytona 500. The 12 was strong here last year. We've seen Logano win this Daytona 500 before, so certainly uh, they're going to be up there fighting for the Daytona 500. How about you, Philip? Has your opinion changed at all uh, from Speed Weeks, what we've seen? And I know we haven't seen a ton. The practices have been – you know, knocked down and we only saw about 50 laps of real actual racing and maybe 40 laps of really actual racing between the times we spent under caution and under red. Uh, under real actual racing and then only one lap in qualifying, has your opinion changed here during speed weeks at all and who should pick to win the Daytona 500? Opinion hasn't
0: changed uh, my feeling as a fan of my Favorite driver, uh, and because for me, as being a Davy Allison fan, and that was the first race I ever watched, one of the first races I ever watched in my life. And if I ever thought that I would be waiting, you know, 25, 27 years to watch my favorite driver win the Daytona 500 again, I never thought that would happen. But then that's kind of been my luck with this race, and then football, but um, that's a whole other point. Uh, the two is about is a betting line favorite. I wouldn't bet against him, uh, not just because he's my driver, but because he's that good at this. Uh, when it outside of Dale Earnhardt Jr. Dale he learned a lot from Dale Jr. and one of the things he picked up on was this ability to run uh, these restrictor plates and all different packages. But more so since they made the, made the cars the way they have these last few years. Uh, the fact is, these Chevys are fast um, Hendrick cars, but I'm more more focused on them RCR cars, because the difference is the ones, the 3 and the 8, I mean, albeit the 3 couldn't pass the second, but they're more stable, and last year the top two finishers in the Daytona 500 were the 3 and the 43, and they're both RCR cars, and you'll never count out, I mean, the point is, my picks are 2, it will be the 2, I mean, the 12 is another good one, and we can't count out the Chevys especially the RCR ones, and, and Kyle Larson figures out a way to get to the front of these races. You can't really finish some of them, especially if Chris Bell's in it.
2: Sure but, as hell hope you know, so.
0: He, yeah, you know, I think uh, Kyle Larson's on the cusp, and with Kurt Busch as a teammate, the way Kurt Busch ran yesterday, I think is a precursor, good things to come for Ganassi, and then yeah. – Furthermore, you can't. The Toyotas haven't even shown anything really yet, and you can never sleep on, you know, the eighteen and Martin Truex who came within inches of winning this race about two three years ago. So,
1: no doubt, and, and I think Hamlet's that's so Right, and I think that's something to keep an eye on. Well, Toyota was really fast at that point when they won the Daytona Five Hundred. There, um, I think. You know, no doubt about it. It's been a, uh, a very interesting – it's going to be very interesting speed weeks. Hopefully, we'll be able to do a show, guys, before the day twenty five hundred and we'll see if our picks change at all. I mean, um, you know, these Thursday races are going to be very interesting. We've talked about the lack of practice. We've talked about uh, everything else. When we get 150 miles for each team underneath our belts, it could, it could totally be, you know, a, a team I'm interested in watching is Hemrick. It, Will Hemrick, the raw speed of that eight car. Will that carry into the race? Will he be a threat? And if he's a threat and we sit there and go, wow, that eight car was fast, how crazy would that be for a rookie to go out there in the Daytona 500 and and run the race of his life? It would be fun and wild to see. I hope we see it. So um, we'll hope to to have a show for you before the Daytona 500. I don't know if you guys are aware. The listeners are aware. Spencer's down there now. I'll be down there leaving Wednesday night to go to Daytona. Uh, My reception, my My uh, Wi-Fi is a little shoddy at times while I go down to Daytona, so um, we'll see. We'll see if we can do a show. I really hope to because maybe even a morning of the Daytona 500, that'd be awesome. Uh, So we're going to talk about that. We'll we'll announce it when we we figure out the plans here on Talking Circles, but I want to thank everybody for listening tonight, and if you like us, you listen to what we said here tonight, you like what we said here tonight, please like us on Facebook, like us on Twitter here on Talking Circles. I'm Clayton Caldwell for Philip Matthew and Spencer Cowan. We'll see you next time on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody.